Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory, Season 9, Episode 34. I'm Jack. And I'm Stato. And today we're going to talk, firstly, about our unpopular Spurs opinions. So, Stato, I'm going to ask you to go first with one of yours. So give us one of your unpopular Spurs opinions. Can I go big at the start? or Please go big. Sol Campbell was right to leave Tottenham. Oh, you've gone in there with he who should not be named. Um, when when he left, the team was so under um, invested in. There was so much more we could do with that squad and the, the young talent, you know, talented players that we had at the time. Um, the way he did what he did was reprehensible, but in essence. He wanted a sign from the club that they were willing to spend. And I imagine he would have probably stayed had they shown willing, at least. Talked about players they were interested in, talked about targets that they wanted to go for, and even spent some money. Um, But yeah, the way he did what he did and and what what he actually did of going down the road made it the most heinous thing. and, and, And rightly, everyone was on the back of him. And the club and the, the hardest thing for the fans was even if he'd have gone and having signed a new contract we'd have probably got 20 to 25 million for him because on a par with him at the time or on that level you're probably looking at Rio Ferdinand who was just a bit younger and you know a bit more of a ball player not as not as good a defender but you know a top top quality centre half yeah. who went for 30 million from Leeds to Man United so we would have got a fee, commanded a fee of definitely 20 to 25 million for him. And that would have actually seen the strength in the squad if that's what we'd have chosen to do. I mean, as a man, I've heard lots of interviews about him. I'd even read a bit about him. He was one of, I think, nine children, but he was a complete loner. He's the exception to what people, you know, hear from a big family where the unit is so important. He was actually completely sort of isolated in himself. Um, so, you know, a bit of a maverick, but yeah, it's, um, if he'd have stayed, the club could have, you know, could have done something to make him stay. Mm. I think it always throws up an interesting debate. And I think if you can take your Spurs hat off and just have a look at where he left, where he went to and then what he achieved... I don't really think that you can question whether or not it was a good decision or not, because you know, purely on paper, his achievements and what he won and everything really that he achieved in football went up when he left us. Yeah. So I, don't, I don't think that you can really question that, but it's the manner and it's who he went to. And I think that oh. the, the thing that always bugs me is he talks with such arrogance about it, even to this day, as if it wasn't a big thing. That, yeah. that, that for me, is always the thing that bugs me about it. If he just come out and said, now, look, you know, it's all in the past, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the way I went about it was wrong. I, I hadn't properly considered what I was actually... I, I do think that there would be some Spurs fans that would maybe wouldn't be as harsh towards him as what they are. But the, the arrogance of the way that he went about the move and the way he talks about it now is just... It, I don't know. It just it does not sit right at all with me. Um, and your comment about him being a bit of a strange guy, I mean, anybody that's ever met him always seems to say the same thing. He's a really, really odd bloke. And mm. some interviews that he's done more recently when he's been in management have been really strange as well. 
Yeah. So he's a proper a proper funny bloke, but I think that's a pretty good one to start with. I don't. I half agree, half disagree with you. To be honest, I think because it was is such an emotional thing, it's difficult to to take the Spurs bite out of it. I mean, I think the point of these unpopular opinions, you can make your own, you know, values and judgments on these things, but. Um, I just decided to channel my inner Steve from the Hotspur podcast and just be as controversial as I could be. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'll go first with mine then. So my one is Harry Redknapp's reign as Tottenham manager does not get the credit that it should. And it was as successful as Pochettino's reign for us. Um, and I think that the way that Redknapp's reign finished was obviously quite bitter and, and not great at all, really, from anyone's perspective. But if you think about what he achieved at Spurs, yes, he had good players. He, you know, he, he did have some extremely talented players in the squad, but he took us really from nowhere. We were never going to get go down that season. I don't I don't buy that. But, you know, we wouldn't have finished anywhere near where we did. Um, and he was really the one that proper kicked us on. You know, Yoel had done a great job previously to that um, a few years before. But... We were nowhere, and it it really felt like we were a side that were drifting at that point. And Harry came in. We played attacking football. We played we played Tottenham football, didn't we? Where it was yeah. loud attack. We lost stupid games. We conceded stupid goals, but some of the football that we saw was absolutely magnificent. You know, he was there to get us into the Champions League for the first time, which was an incredible achievement for us, and something that we hadn't even considered. Um, and now now we just expect it as the absolute norm. You know, he was the one that broke the duck over um, some of the big sides that we hadn't beaten for a number of years. Uh, and it was just, it was a really, really good time. You know, we had Modric, we had Bale. It was just, the, the football was fantastic. It's, I still think it's the best football that I've seen since I've been going to watch Spurs. When it was just that 4-4-2, Van der Vaart on Crouch up front, Bale on the left, Lennon on the right, Modric in the middle. It, it sensational stuff and I just think because it obviously ended quite poorly um, and he was quite bitter about it for a number of years um, mm. Redknapp that people overlook actually what he achieved for us which was nothing short of sensational and he massively exceeded the expectations and I just think whenever there's conversations around you know Spurs's best managers especially in the Premier League era, everybody just automatically goes to Pochettino. And he, of course, he should be right up there. But I think that Redknapp, what Redknapp did for us is quite disrespected in terms of he took us from nowhere to a side that could start to challenge and, and be a half-decent team again. Yeah. I, I'm going to agree with the first part of his reign at Tottenham. He definitely did take us to a level that we, we could have been at and we should have been at. And I just think it was more down to um, how we've been managed. And we've been managed by, under Ramos, a foreign coach whose communication led something, you know, let down a bit in, in the way it was. You know, um, I'm trying to, <laughs> with my communication skills, absolutely falling apart there and nothing at all to do with the Merlot. Um, I think it would have been easy for anyone to pick up the ball, but he did it very well. I'm not knocking him for that. He came in and he did it. But I think the last season, we did what we did despite him. I, I honestly thought we were badly mismanaged that last season. Um, third was was the prize, not fourth that mm. season. It was shocking that we came fourth and then watched Chelsea um, win the Champions League and, and kick us out of, of the 
you know, the Champions League for the following season. Um, I just thought there was a wave of support from the fan base. I just didn't see it was justified. And you could see Levy didn't trust him. In the January, if we'd have just improved the squad, if we'd have just... So if we'd have had a um, director of football at that time, then there's no way it would have ever worked with Redknapp because he's a proper old school foot, English football manager. And I don't mean a dinosaur like an, like an Allardyce, but he had to be in charge. It was his gig and he ran everything. But there's no way Levy gave him anything other than buttons to spend in that January. Hence, we got um, Nelson and Saha. Yeah. Because Levy was going to give the new manager the money. Yeah. It was, it was a shame. But I just... What I loved about that period under Redknapp was you'd go to the games, especially at home, and you just knew you were going to win. You knew you were going to see three or four goals every game. It was going to be attacking football and we were going to get a result. And I don't know, he just, he really, for me, instantly brought that feel-good factor back to Spurs. Um, and it felt, like I said, it felt like we were a side that were drifting and we didn't really know what we were going to do. We didn't really have an identity. But from from minute one, really, of him coming in, you knew what you were going to get. And I just think that it was such a great time being a Spurs fan with him. Like I've mentioned the players that we had, but it was just such fast attacking football. Um, and it was so entertaining. And it just felt like for those years, we had something to really, really believe in and get behind again. It was just a shame that it ended the way it did. Um, yeah. And again, that there wasn't, a, there wasn't a trophy to show for. But I think for him, getting us in the Champions League was probably bigger than any trophy he could have won. Um, yeah, I agree, with, Jack. There's, there's times when winning a League Cup is a trophy, it's a day out for the fans, but honestly, do the players think it counts for anything? Because would they rather be in the Champions League the following season or the Europa League with a winner's medal in their back pocket? Yeah. Because yeah. I think football has changed so much that that's no longer credible to, to, to supporters, uh, to players. And I think the so FA Cup's in the same... Six or seven years on the trot in the Champions League than win two League Cups. Yeah, and uh, but I, I actually think, and this will probably sadden you because obviously you're a fan that's grown up with it being such a big thing, but I think the FA Cup's in that bracket as well now. I think if you were to say to foreign players, FA Cup or Champions League, they're taking the Champions League qualification all day. So why do the big teams still win it, Jack? Why does City win it, like the League Cup, almost every year? I think that, I mean, that their, their strength in depth is on another level, isn't it? And they don't play two squads. Okay, they are able to, in, in some of the league games, play a, a sort of a relaxed team. But I don't think they play, you know, like what I would call a first team in the in the league games, and then a you know a relaxed team in the in the cup competitions. I think, I think they just play as many first eleven players that are available, and then they win a game early on, and then change make three subs or make you know. Yeah. I think what what can tend to well, what what feels like it's killed us and probably teams that are similar to us is that semi-final two-legged game. You know, when you do end up playing yeah. big boys, it's so difficult to beat them over two legs. So so difficult. Okay. I think that that's where a lot of sides, probably like us, that are maybe fielding slightly weaker sides, you end up getting yourself into a semi-final. You maybe play maybe rotate one or two and the strong opposition do the same but they they've just got too much for you and it's difficult to beat them over those those two legs but you know, mm. I don't know what the the statistics say but I, I reckon if you look back over the league cup winners the last 15 years you're not going to find many sides outside that top 6 that have won it it's only only really 
Swansea, yeah, that, that I can recall winning it. So it's like it is the big sides that win it. Um, but I also guess that for a lot of teams, I don't think we're quite included in this, that the survival in the Premier League is just so critical for probably 12 sides now that they don't, they yeah. really do not care about anything else. And they'd rather lose 3 0 at home to a League Two side, but then win on the Saturday in the league than, than the other way around. And it's, it is a shame that it's come to that, but that's just money talks now, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. 100%. You're right. Um, have you got another unpopular opinion? It's very unpopular. I promise you. I mean, I literally, I was talking to my wife beforehand and I mentioned these two unpopular opinions and, and it was like, if this was in a pub before the game, there would be bloodshed. <laughs> so here we go. Ledley King is massively overestimated oh. in the eyes of our fan base. Oh, that's just, that is a horrific statement. See, I, this is why I was a bit wary when I realised it was just you podding with me. That is and horrific. I know you're a bit of a fanboy for Ledley. Oh, I can't believe that's because that's, you are a Tottenham fan. That is, that's really, that's really upset me, to be honest. That is a statement. Why? why? Right, here are my points, because I've, I've got to put some flesh on the bones. Go on. Had he stayed fit, he would have gone to Man United in 2004. I probably don't. We would have lost the last seven or eight years of his career. So there would never have been that. We'd have seen him at his best at United. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't disagree with that. And I think that the reason that we had Ledley for so long is because of the injury. Because he was such a talented player, even with only one knee, he was still the best player on the park. But you were never going to get a top side come and buy a player that, you know, you're only going to get 15, 20 games a season. Yeah. So it it ended up, and it sounds horrible, it working in our favour that he had those injuries because he would have gone on to bigger and better things because he was such a top centre-half. Um, but, you know, for me, he's, he's, he's still the best player I've seen play for Spurs. My favourite captain, such a, a, a silky, graceful centre-half that you just do not see anymore. Um but I don't disagree with that comment that he would have gone on to a to a bigger yeah. side than us because when he was you know when he was in the Spurs side that was a poor Tottenham team as well you know it's yeah. not if he was if he was playing more recently um, you know you, you might be able to argue that but when he was breaking through and got made captain we were we were a shocking team. I mean, this is my, this is one of my other points was we were so bad defensive, defensively that the, the lift of a man with only one leg or one knee coming into the side actually gave us hope. So, yeah, I mean, that proves the point in itself. I mean, you know, my love for Michael Dawson is almost on a par with my love for my wife and children. Um, <laughs> I love the guy, but he did need to have his hand held. Yeah, yeah. You know, but, he know, was an infinitely better player for having Ledley King next to him. Yeah, definitely. But I think that Ledley had that impact on any centre-half he played with that he just made them look 10 times better. You know, you forget there was a period of, you know, half a dozen games where it was him and Sebastian Bassong. And Bassong looked like an unbelievable centre-back. And you're thinking, Cole, we've got a player here. Then all of a sudden, Ledley picks up an injury, he's out of the team, and Bassong's all over the place. So I just think that Ledley brought the best out of everybody in the side. Um, and, you know, his talent is just, it's difficult to describe to anybody that didn't see him play, but... The man, the man played non-contact football at centre half, and the ball yeah. was going into the centre forward. And before the centre forward has even realised it, Ledley's taken the ball, and it was just—it was—it used to be phenomenal to watch. And you know, all of the players that have 
have played with Ledley. Whenever they do their 1 to 11s on Soccer M or whatever football program it is, they all have Ledley King in that side. Every single one of them just say, you know, his ability was on another level. And most people know about Thierry Henry's comments saying that, you know, Ledley was the best best centre half that he ever played against. So he must have been pretty decent. I mean, it took it took a lot of like searching through stats and looking for chinks that I could chip away at. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he ever got more than two yellow cards in the Premier League season. I appreciate there wasn't a lot of games he played in, um, you know, for him to accumulate those. But, um, yeah, so he actually only played two-thirds or more games in a Premier League season four times in 12 full seasons, you know, ignoring the first two seasons where he played a, a handful of games. Um, but they all came in a clutch, 0304, 0405 and 0506. Yeah, it's just it's obviously that was him in his, in his pomp of physical fitness as well as uh, as well as ability. Yeah, and, and you know you forget as well that he he had that really really short stint for England when he played the odd game in central midfield and he he looked good like, in the Euros didn't he? He looked like a world beater when he went in there as well. He was just he was such a brilliant footballer and from his point of view. You know, he must just he must just think, you know, what kind of luck have I got? Because th- this is a guy that would have gone on to a top side and would have had four, five, six, if not more than that, league titles. Yeah. Champions, at least a Champions League. Like, he would have won the lot. We imagine uh, alongside Rio Ferdinand. What a partnership that would have been. For, and you'd have had that for about 10, 15 years, wouldn't you, if it United? It would have been, United could have won three not, Champions Leagues with, with in that era when they didn't win any. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, I'm disappointed. And, and finally, it was it, it went on too long basically for him. He's lost six. Um, he's lost eight games. We lost six of them with only yeah. one win. It, so it probably had just. You could tell, couldn't you, towards the end that we were struggling defensively, and you'd watch him, and you, everybody knew you shouldn't be out there. Like, and he must have known that he was nowhere near fit. But I think that he probably felt like he had to go out because we were struggling and we didn't have a lot else to put play at centre half, that it was just, it was really got down to the point where it was Ledley or no one. Um, and it was, it was a shame because the last few games in particular, he, he, the guy, he couldn't move. He really yeah. couldn't move. And it was, just, it was quite painful to watch him in certain games. Um, so he probably should have gone maybe a season earlier, but uh-huh. it must be so hard for him because he would have known that his performances were starting to drop off. But he hasn't got he hasn't got many games in the bank, has he? Do you know what I mean? You look at you know you've done the stats there. He'll have been thinking, you know, I could have had double or treble the amount of appearances that he had in his career. Yeah. If it wasn't for the injuries. So, uh, uh, incredibly talented player, and I, I just think that injuries was part of his football journey, wasn't it? And it, again, that might sound quite cynical, but I think that's is part of the story, isn't it? That. You know, he could only turn out once a month from when he did, he was the best player. It just it adds to the awe and the, the the magic around what a magnificent player he was. Yeah, I mean, appearance-wise, he, he played 268 games in the Premier League um, and, and he could have played 500 had he been, you know, available for every single one in the, the time span he was at the club. So, you know, it, it, was a, it was a little over 50%. Although, admittedly, that includes a couple of you know years where he was too young to, to play every game. But, um, yeah. I've heard a bit to say that, but, you know, you've got to do... You've got, got to be a little bit controversial, haven't you, with these? And my, I've got one more. Now, this is something that, if you've listened to the podcast for the last 18 months or so, you'll have heard me say and get slaughtered for saying um, previously, is that Sun 
brilliant player that he is, is just not clinical enough for us when it really, really matters. Now, there are games that people will throw at me, and I'm sure you'll do the same. We'll say, oh, we scored the winner in this, and he scored the winner in that. And yet, I, I, I'll take that on board completely. But for me, more often than not, he needs three or four chances in a game to put one away. And when you're talking about opposition in the Champions League and the likes of City, Liverpool in the Premier League, you don't have the grace of getting that that many opportunities in the game of football. And when you're playing these top sides, it needs to be one chance or even half a chance falls in the back of the net. And I've seen him do it in some games where he's just been on fire. But like I said, more often than not, he needs multiple chances to, to convert that goal. And like I said, in the games that really, really matter, you, you don't have that. Um, I'm not going to argue against you here, but if we've got Harry Kane in our team, you can't expect the guy who's playing you know, to the left or to the right to be as good a finisher. Is that unrealistic? I don't know if it is because I look at... The player that I compare Son to the most is Mane of Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. But where Son is now is where Mane was at maybe 18 months or so ago. And Mane, something switched with him where he's just overnight become clinical. And he's scoring 25 goals in the, you know, in the league season now. But they don't have the central striker that we have. Maybe not, but they have Salah from the other side who scores more, more goals than, than, than what Kane does. So I do think that you can have more than one player that you know, you rely on for those goals. And this is not me saying that Son is a bad player. I think he's an absolutely sensational footballer. But if he could just get, if he could turn those that goal ratio um, and do basically what Mane's done, where he's gone from being a real, real good player to all of a sudden, you know, if you were building a, an ultimate team in, in Europe, you'd probably have Mane in it. And I think Son can definitely get there because I think he's got all the attributes to be a better player than what Mane's at. But, he just needs to improve for me in front of goal if he wants to really, really kick on to that next level. So this isn't me saying that I think Son is a, a poor player or a or anything like that. I just think that he he just lacks that killer instinct for me in, in front of goal in those real, real vital moments. OK, I'll come up with a unpopular counter-argument then. Um, if he was that player you want him to be, would he be at Tottenham? We're the, I'm going to be over-egging it a bit, say, with a 14th or 15th best team in Europe. Yeah. Wouldn't he be somewhere else? Yes and no. I mean, if you're looking at the player that we bought, and again, this is the comparison with Mane, you, when you sign these players, you expect them to improve, right? You, you, you buy them and you think within the next yeah. 18 months, they're going to have you know, become a, a far superior player, which means we get more return from on the pitch. And also, if then we have to sell that player, we're going to get more than what we've spent. So I get your point, um, but I don't see any reason why he couldn't be as good as him and, and be at Spurs. We've got Harry Kane. I know there's that slightly sentimental um, thing with Kane that he's a Spurs boy, which is why we've got him. But there's a, there's a handful of clubs that you think would be a step up for Sun to go and play at. But it's the majority of those teams have already got superstars in those positions. So it would be a case of, would those sides want to spend that amount of money for a player that they've probably already got? Yeah. I mean, you talk about players improving and players, um, you know, coming to the club. Jack, for and this is just before your time, but I'd say for almost the entirety of the 90s, 
and uh, half of the, the sort of first decade of this century, I don't think a player we bought improved at Tottenham. That's mad, isn't it, to say you that? Know? I, know, I really don't want to knock the guy individually, but I'm talking about kind of the Chris Hewton was assistant manager or coach time. And I don't blame him personally, yeah. but we didn't ever seem to buy players and improve them. The you only know? one, the only one I can think of that's not super super um, current is Michael Carrick. He's probably the only one where you yeah. put him. He got a, a bit better, then he moved, then he got absolutely world class. But I think that's a fair point. But I guess that just again, there's so many of these conversations that we have on this podcast that come back to we have improved so much as a side in the last yeah. 10, 15 years that it, it is honestly it's it's quite astonishing sometimes when you talk about it. Yes, you're you're right, you're right. Yeah. Um that's that they're my unpopular opinions done. Have you got any more that you wanted to talk about? If not we can yeah, move. I think honestly people will be throwing chairs for my kitchen window <laughs> if I come up with anything worse than I've already Tonight. I've got a few about Abbas, but like you say, they're not necessarily uh, unpopular. They're just opinion. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even say, I'd probably say they're just facts more than anything else. <laughs> we're going to do now a 1 to 11 feature. So this is where we're going to pick our favourite and best Spurs sides. Um, 1 to 11, but based on the squad number. So number one will obviously be the goalkeeper, number two our right-back, number three our left-back, so on and so on, with the squad numbers representing the traditional positions. Now, I've done two teams. I've done one where it does represent those traditional positions, and then a second one where I've torn up the rule book and played weird and wonderful formations and had squad numbers in positions that don't really make sense. But let's start with the traditional sides that we've yeah. got. Um, I don't want to go first. Because you're John Maverick, I didn't. You, your strict regime threw me, and I wasn't having it. Basically, I got the agenda three hours after I'd done this team. <laughs> but mine doesn't fit your uh, extremist views. I'll go first with mine. So, um, my number one goalkeeper in this side uh, is Paul Robinson. Now, I spoke about Paul Robinson. It was last week's podcast or the week before. Um, but he was a brilliant goalkeeper for, for Spurs. Um, he was England's number one for a number of years as well. Two-odd caps, I reckon, when he was at Tottenham. Yeah, you know what? He was an extremely consistent goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't get the absolute wonder saves, but you would very, very rarely get a mistake from him. And he just he brought a confidence. And for me, you've got to be confident in your goalkeeper. So Paul Robbins is my number one. Now, my back four, so... My right back is is number two, Steve Carr. I knew uh, that. I've already written it down because I'm writing it down as we go. It was, it, it, was a, it was a toss up to be honest between Carr and and Walker. Um, obviously Walker in the modern day, you know everything that you'd want from a modern day fullback. But I really enjoyed Steve Carr um, watching him week in week out for Spurs. Obviously the score of the brilliant goal against Man United, which I talk about every single week. Um, but he was just he was just a good solid defender. Um, could go forward, very rarely injured, um, excellent crosser of the ball. He was just, he was a, he was a solid right back for us for for a few seasons, um, and I enjoyed watching him. So he's my right back. Then my centre halves, which are numbers five and six. So number five, probably unsurprisingly, is Jan Vertonghen. Um, you know, again, been at Spurs for a number of years now. Would probably go down as one of the best centre halves that we've had for a number of years. Um, again, very consistent. 
uh, a modern day centre half, you know, good with the ball of it at his feet, but can also mix it physically. So the Tongan's my first centre half. My sorry to butt in. The greatest compliment I could play Jan is I do not know why he's not in the Barcelona team and hasn't been for the last five or six seasons. Yeah. Because he's the epitome of he's not not overly comfortable against a really aggressive physical yeah. attacker, but Barcelona have the ball so often that doesn't really happen. Yeah. And he's a good ball player. So I just can't see why he's never maybe we think he's not as you know, he's better than he is, but Maybe, or maybe again, it's a case of that the sides have just got players that they think are better in those positions. They haven't felt the need to buy him, um, but but a, a good player. His centre back partner, number six. So this was actually a really difficult one because I thought that the centre halves were going to be the easiest position for me to do. No, but it's yeah, it turned out to be really difficult because I was going through num- players that have worn number six and played at centre half, and it was pretty slim pickings if I'm totally honest. Um, so I went for a guy that didn't play for Spurs for for a huge amount of time, but the the games I remember watching him play, he was just a big, aggressive, tough centre half, and that's Dean Richards. Oh, which might be a slightly left field one, um, but I remember him scoring on his debut a bullet header in a game that we ended up throwing away against Man United. But he was a he in was the a, number thirty eight shirt, I'd add. But go on. Yeah, he was a he was a good tough centre half, and to be honest, the other number sixes that I had to pick from for this, there wasn't much competition. If I'm honest, there was obviously Sanchez. Um, oh, Chris Perry. Sorry, say that again. Chris Perry. Yeah, exactly. There wasn't much competition for him. Harsh. Um, Harsh on Perridinho. Maybe it was a little bit, but I went with Dean Richards there. And then my left back, who's oh, wearing yeah. number three. This is a bit of a a cheat because I've, I'll come on to this. I'm not allowed this. I'll come on to the dilemma that I had um, when I get to number eleven. But I've gone with Bale uh, left oh. as free. Um, but to be honest, he's not going to be a left back in this team. He's, he's really going to be playing in midfield. But I, I had to have him in the side, but I couldn't have him in at number eleven. Um, and I'll come to that in a minute. So that's my back four. Then my midfield, so on the right-hand side, wearing number seven shirt, is Darren Anderson, uh, a real top player. Um, probably the best crosser of all that I've ever seen play for Spurs. Just really, really consistent as well with his performances um, and a, a real strong player for Spurs. And, and, you know, for England as well. So Anderson's on the right-hand side. Central midfield, uh, wearing the number eight shirt, is Scott Parker. Uh, again, another... Scott Parker is... Almost legendary on this podcast now, isn't it? Every he, week you have to justify him to someone. He was brilliant. I loved him, you know, because I think the reason that I loved him as much as I do is because he was he was a limited player, right, in terms of what he could do. But all of the stuff really that was within his control, and I'm talking about his work rate, his commitment, everything was at maximum. You know, when he had the ball at his feet, he was a limited player. He was. But for the role that he was playing at the time he was in for Spurs, we didn't need him to do anything more than that. It was just a case of win the ball back, give it to the better players around you. Um, and, you know, I just I just like what the man's all about. You know, it's tucked in shirt. It's black boots. It's it's just very old school. It's, it's the never say die attitude. It's the never say die attitude that, I think that a lot of the modern players just don't have anymore. Um, so Scott Parker's in there. My issue with Scott Parker has always been that, and I understand why he went to Chelsea when he did, 
but it was when he chose Newcastle over us and West Ham. Yeah. And then we got him by default when the Spammers got relegated and he won Hammer of the Year. Um, so I, I think he tarnished himself a bit by coming to us so late. Maybe he did, but you know we only had him for a couple of seasons as well, didn't we? But that that first season when we got him, he was he was brilliant for us in the middle of the park, just getting at people, winning it back, and and then giving it to the better players. He he really did do a job for us in there. So Scott Parker's my first central midfielder. Then playing alongside him in the number four shirt. Now I spoke about the dilemma and the problems with the number six shirt at centre half. I was shocked really going through the lists of the lack of quality that's worn four and played central midfield for Spurs. It's not a central midfielder's number, Jack. That's why. We've had more more centre-halves, you'd you'd probably say. Um, But this was a real problem. And I ended up, and it's not not a strong choice, I ended up with Didier Zakora. That's all you've got, mate. Honestly, that's all I... Because otherwise it's fraud. Yeah, and I mean, Stephen Freud was just... Sam Williams, Popescu. I mean, it's, it's, it's Didier. John Davis. I mean, <laughs> he played what three or four games for us, did he? He was there uh, three seasons. But wasn't he? he? Was injured, wasn't he, for large periods of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Didier's a core is in there, li- literally by default. Um, so congratulations, Didier. And then on the left-hand side of midfield, we're in number eleven, and this is why I couldn't have Bale as eleven. Is Van der Vaart. Um, <laughs> Again, a, a player that I just I could not leave him out of of any team I do. He has to be in there. Um, so play thought, left midfield for us, though, Jack. Ever? Well, I remember him going out there on the odd occasion when we went with two up front. Um, I remember him playing out there. Well, he played more on the right hand side when we had that famous win against Arsenal. So there were there were a few games when yeah. he shoehorned a little bit to play on that side but again I had to have him in in the side and you know what in this team he can tuck in and play centrally because Bale's going to be bombing on the outside anyway so I've got no problem with that Um, and my two strikers um, firstly wearing number nine is Dimitar Berbatov Um, just a a class player I think you know technically probably the best centre forward I've seen play for Spurs his touch and his vision was just you know, really on another level. And then partnering him up, him, him up front wearing number 10, of course, is Harry Kane. So that is my 1 to 11. So I'll hand over to you, Stato, to take us through yours. Well, because you've put unnecessary strict guidelines on yourself <laughs> and limited yourself in ways that I couldn't imagine, I decided to do the same with myself. But So I've refused to pick any current players. Okay. Because it's very simple to, to you know, to put in the likes of Toby or Hugo or Harry, um, even Yang. So I, I decided to strip away that option, but I also didn't get the memo about 4-4-2 or your, you know, very strict <laughs> which player plays in which position. Yeah. So I've got, it's a personal favourite. It's not the greatest, but Eric Torsford, number one. Um, Eric Torsford, to me, epitomised being a supporter of your team, it's easy to love the best player in the team. It's It shows, it doesn't show more love, but it, it, it actually takes more love to pick a player who struggled so badly on their debut and, you know, the loss of confidence. Because we, we bought Torsvet to replace Bobby Mims, who made mistake after mistake after mistake. And he made a massive mistake in his first game, live on television, when there were only 10 games a season. So, um, 
I love Derek the Viking. He had such a good relationship with the fans behind his goal. He used to stand on the Paxton, um, pretty much directly behind the goal, if not a little bit higher up. So just a bit of personal investment there, Eric the Viking in goal for me. Um, number two, Nuruddin Nabet. <laughs> I'm not going 4-4-2. I've got three at the back. You need, if you're playing Nabet, you need at least six at the back just to cover no. him. I tell you what, the, I tell you the guy could defend. I'm of the era when defenders used to just defend. There was nothing else required of them. Yeah. In this team, I've got enough forward players that we just got some stoppers at the back. That's all you need. <laughs> um, I've gone for a romantic choice for number four. I've picked the Unisca ball I wanted Unisca ball to become. <laughs> yeah. And again, he never quite delivered it. I, I genuinely always felt that Kabul was once going to score the greatest goal ever seen. Like yeah. a 40-yard like pile driver. Never happened. I mean, he scored a couple. He had a massive head, didn't he? There's no denying that. He got, he got his head on the end of a few and he scored a few with that. But um, The thing is with Kabul, though, like he had all of the attributes to actually go on and be a really good centre-half, but he just used to make some really stupid mistake oh, yeah but you know physically you know he was so strong and quick and he was so powerful in the air and he could play a little bit as well but it was just it was purely those errors he used to make at the back and he used to cost you know he used to cost so many goals a, a, across the whole season that it got to, it just got to a point with him where you thought no he's he, he's not good enough anymore well i always wondered if he was a defensive midfielder it just it turned out we'd spent too long playing him in centre half and he actually, because he had the physique for it, um, I he, he had overlapping right back role in the game against City when Crouchy scored the goal that qualified us for the Champions League. Um, I remember going away to Stoke, and he played central midfield with Modric, um, because obviously they would they just had they were such direct team Stoke, yeah. and he, he was brilliant in there. He literally just did the job of I'll be super aggressive, win it, give it easy. So my third centre half, and I've gone with number six. Um, the man for all ages, Gary Mabbott. Just an absolute... You can rely on Gary Mabbott forevermore. He just was sound as a pound. Tottenham captain, Tottenham legend. The second longest career, playing career of any player at the club after Steve Perriman. I need not say any more than that. Gary Mabbott. Yeah. Last captain to win the yeah. FA Cup. I mean, Christ's sake. And I think anybody that ever saw him play always says what a top captain he was I think that's yeah. something that you know guests that we've had on over over the years on this podcast have all said Gary Mabbitt was just brilliant so in essence this was based upon the fact I couldn't because I put the rule of not picking a current player and on a technicality Danny Rose is on loan in Newcastle maybe I could have picked him but um, I couldn't find a left back that I wanted to pick because Lee Young-Pio just didn't quite cut the mustard <laughs> I wanted to put Eric Edmund in for, for, for Van's sake, yeah. but Eric Edmund wore 14. So I wanted to put Eric Edmund in at number five. We've just got a little plus in between the one and the four. <laughs> yeah. Zambrano did it for, um, he had to wear 18 and switch because Ronaldo had, had come into Inter and, and took the nine shirt and he had one plus eight. Well, yeah. I wanted to have Edmund as one plus four. Brilliant. Uh, but instead of that, I've gone for uh, holding midfield Edgar Davids at number five. Yeah. Um, We've spoken about Davids before on the podcast. It was just a real sea change. When Yol brought him in, he he taught the players on the training ground the importance of being at the highest level every day. The, you know, the, the effort that was required. 
Um, there was a distinct improvement in Lennon and other young players at the time. And I, I just I had a lot of time for Edgar Davids. Obviously, we only got him on the downward curve of his career because he had such, you know, a, a highly esteemed career. Um, but he, he's my number five. Yeah, great. Uh, I've, I've matched you up on the flanks. I've got Darren Anderson, number seven, and Gareth Bale, number three. Yeah. I'm not cheating by playing him at left back. Genuinely <laughs> uh, on the flanks. Um, of course, Anderton didn't initially wear seven when he came to the club. He was our number nine. Um, and, you know, a lack of, of strikers then, and it was his personal choice of when he came from Portsmouth. But, of course, the squad numbers didn't actually begin at the start of the Premier League. It's like the second season. Mm. So, you know, there was a more fluidity at the, at the very beginning. But So, my central midfield, we've got number eight, Jermaine Jenis. Yeah. Um, I have only done the squad numbers from 93 onwards. Because otherwise I would have picked a, a Gaza or you know or someone before that I'd seen at War Eight week in week out. But um, I've gone with the '93 onwards, so um, I think Jermaine Jennings speaks for himself. A very Tottenham player. Yeah. Um, and I've got Van der Vaart there in the middle, um, with plenty of people around him to do the actual running and the work. Yeah. Um, but but he's the epitome of the. I, I had a friend who uh, was a few years older than me when I when I was about 16, 17. And started going to away games on my own because I always went to home games with my dad and my younger brother. Um, and it, he always referred to us Tottenham in the north. We referred to us the Fancy Dans and Top Shaggers. And I just <laughs> thought that epitomised Raphael van der Vaart. Yeah. Um, and so I've got two up top. And again, I've got number nine, Dimitar Berbatov. Canute, yeah. um, when I was going through chronologically, Canute was my nine. And then, of course, it was Berber. Yeah. Um, but yeah, top player, so much skill, so much talent. And in, in, you know, the conversation we had earlier about um, Ledley King, Berbatov went on, he left us, he went to a better club, he did it like Carrick. He went on and he won title after title at United. So actually, we weren't the highest echelon. I could understand players who went. Yeah. Didn't um, he as well, Berbatov? I think was it was his first season at United when he won the league. He scored 30 goals and was the league's top scorer as well. Yeah. So it was like it was the right move. And, you know, him and Rooney up top for United was yeah. just oh, what a front two that is. And if he was a luxury player, how good were United that they could afford a luxury player who won the league and was the top scorer? Yeah, definitely. Um, um, my number 10 is um, Teddy Sheringham. Um, oh, you get. Don't know if it'd have worked as yeah. a partnership. I, I did wonder if sharing him with a clinical striker would have worked better. But do you know what? What's the harm of having two intelligent, skillful players up front? Were there any other tens that come close? Like was Robbie Keane? Was Robbie Keane in the mix? I love Robbie Keane, but he kind of epitomised where Tottenham were mm. because he wasn't the highest echelon when he came through at Coventry went to Inter Milan, even was doing the business at Leeds. You thought he was going to be a great, great player. But he went to Liverpool and didn't improve, Didn't wasn't any better because Liverpool were bigger than us, but not vastly better than us. They never actually threatened in the time he was there. So, you know, again, Sheringham left, went to United. He won the treble, you know? Yeah. There were a lot of people at that time, I know they're going to go on a bit here because... Some of the younger people wouldn't, wouldn't know this, but United, the year they won the treble, had York and Cole as their first choice strike force. And then they had Solskjaer and Sheringham. Now, everyone 
in the lower mid-table was like, oh, we need a Solskjaer, we need a Sheringham. But why would a player like Sheringham or Solskjaer go to a Coventry or Southampton or Sheffield Wednesday then when they ended up scoring the two goals in the European in the Champions League final? Yeah, and it wasn't like second, third fiddle at United all season. And 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 the thing is as well is that they played like Ferguson, you know, was just the master at everything, and he rotated his squad, especially in that season where they won the treble absolutely perfectly and you know whilst Sheringham wasn't a key starter for a lot of that season like yeah. he scored in the Champions League final he scored in the FA Cup final as well so it wasn't as if he, he didn't play and he just picked his medal up that he just Ferguson was the master at using his squad having strength in depth and improving the team every single season and bringing younger players in and, and, and bringing them through he yeah. was phenomenal at it absolutely phenomenal Agree 100%, mate. Agree 100%. But, yeah, so that's my team. It's it's a proper fantasy team in that, you know, you could pick holes in it all the way through it if you had to play it as a yeah. as a actual starting eleven. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun doing it. That's great. And I, I, what we should do next week is we should then do our a team for squad numbers outside of the 1-11, to 11, so basically all of the rest. And you'd have a bit more of a free reign to play players wherever you want, but you're just not able to pick players from... Numbers one to eleven. You so, can pick Ledley and I'll pick Michael Dawson. Okay. There you go. That's centre half sorted already. So we'll do that next week because that'll be quite good because there are so many players that from doing this one to eleven that miss out that you think oh they would be in my team every single day of the week but. Dorothy Thatcher. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All of those beauties from over the years. So we'll do that next week. Um, but that was great fun. Like, it's always a pleasure, Stato, talking all things Spurs with you. I really enjoyed yeah, I want your Maverick 11. Your... Oh, where I've juggled it all up, yeah. yeah. So I've changed, I changed formations for it and I played a 3-5-2. I didn't change too much in terms of personnel. Um, but I kept Robinson in goal. My back three was Vertonghen 5, Alderweireld 4 and Walker 2. All right. Then the five across midfield was seven Anderton, uh, 11 Van der Vaart, eight Parker, six Huddleston, three Bale, and then nine Berbatov, 10 Keane up front. So to be fair, it's, it's actually a better side than what my other one was, but I've just had to move. Keane rather than Kane? Or have you misread your writing there? No, no, no. Nine Berbatov, 10 Keane. Oh, no, Kane. It is Kane. Because yeah, yeah. I've done that before, by mistake. And... I have misread my own writing. Um, <laughs> So that's that's the team slightly juggled with players playing in positions that maybe aren't traditional. Um, so there you go. Brilliant. Real. Well, like I said, next week we'll do squad numbers outside of that. So if you're listening and want to get involved, do tweet us, email us with what your 1-11 to teams are and what your teams for the players that didn't wear those numbers ahead of next week as well. Um, but thanks for listening, Stato. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thank uh, you, John. And remember, whatever happens, future's bright, future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs. I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football. And I always thought that football was a very important game. But I never realized until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well, they're the finest team in Great Britain and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are 
Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsmann. We are the collective gasp, the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. That is schoolboy's own stuff. We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. Glory past, glory future. What was, what is, what's next? We are Blanchflower, Ardelis and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream. To dare is to do.